So, uh, yeah, so it's the beginning of December, and December is a month when God and Jesus are more relevant than maybe they seem the rest of the year to a lot of people who don't normally think about those things. Um, In fact, some might even say that uh, because of how excited we get about the holidays around December, um, that can kind of overshadow the God and Jesus aspect of the whole thing. Um, I grew up in a church that was in many ways not a biblical church. Um, and one of the things that they did was they forbade uh, the, the celebrating of any holidays. Like you couldn't celebrate any holidays outside of like a few that were in the Old Testament. And the idea was, uh, you know, Christmas, Easter, those things, they aren't really about God. They're not really about Jesus. Uh, they're really more just like things that, you know, pagans came up with or that we do because just we care about all the other stuff that goes along with them. And while I do not really agree with that approach, um, I can honestly sort of understand where uh, they might have been coming from because uh, we know that it's so easy to uh, focus on the things that are not the ultimate reason why we celebrate these holidays. Um, I think this is the reason why the evangelical church has sort of gravitated and held on to this idea of Advent, Uh, a a, a tradition that isn't really typically known for its traditions, um, has said it seems so valuable to take time out as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ um, by focusing ourselves week after week on why exactly that's such a big deal. And so uh, this year, we're doing a series during the month of December called Advent. Again, we really uh, got creative with the names of things this year. And uh, each week, we're looking at something different, but these are not the traditional things that you might associate with Advent. Love, joy, peace, uh, faith, hope. Uh, instead, we're looking at um, some other things that, that help us sort of direct ourselves towards the significance of the birth of Jesus. This week, we're talking about the idea of prophecy. Next week, we'll talk about promise and then what it means for fulfillment to come, the peace that comes in that. And ultimately, on Christmas Eve, we're gonna talk about praise and we're gonna praise God for the birth of Jesus. So I'm excited about that. This week, week one, we are talking about prophecy. And um, to give you a little bit of background, we're gonna be in the book of Isaiah. And you probably won't even necessarily need to turn there in your Bible because we're going to look at a few passages, but they are very far spread out through Isaiah, and I'm going to put them all up on the screen. So it's okay if you don't make it there in time and you just read what's on the screen. Um, So Isaiah is a prophet, and uh, God's people, the Israelites, God's nation, has been divided at this point. There's uh, the northern part of the kingdom, and there's the southern uh, kingdom. And uh, one has 11 tribes, and one has one tribe. And, uh, and at this point, up until now, they've experienced for quite a while sort of a period of prosperity. Things have gone pretty well for them, for God's people. They haven't really been attacked by any enemies. They've, they've had enough of all the things that they need. They've experienced quite a bit of abundance and security. And so because of that, they've sort of been lulled into this sense of complacency, this sense of, uh, you know, we're doing pretty good on our own. And, uh, and as often happens with God's people, uh, when life gets easy, when life gets good, and when life gets predictable, 
uh, they begin to see less and less of a need for God. Well, uh, God sends some prophets to them during that time of abundance and prosperity to tell them, hey, guys, uh, don't, don't lose sight of what's important of God. Don't lose sight of why you're here, God's people. Um, and, but then ultimately what would happen is the Assyrians, the Babylonians, these two uh, groups of people, these two nations, they would ultimately uh, unify under, they wouldn't unify together, but under, under strong leadership, they would now begin to be a real threat to God's people, the Israelites. And so now, after this season of prosperity, after being lulled into complacency, they're afraid because their enemies are at their borders and they want to attack them. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do because now that they've gotten to a point where they really have started to live like maybe we don't really need God so much. Things are going pretty well. Now that things are going south, they still feel like, oh, Maybe we haven't really been feeling like we need God so much. And what happens to people in that place, it's very kind of interesting, is that um, even though we could turn to God at that time, we're so used to not turning to him, we're so used to not thinking about him as like the one that gives life to us and that we depend on, that we won't. And they ultimately don't really see God then. So in comes Isaiah. God sends a prophet. He sends somebody to speak to them, Isaiah. And he says, I want you to dedicate your life to bringing a message to these people and to tell them things. Now, above all else, uh, what he's really going to tell them is, hey, guys, it, it doesn't really matter who you decide you want to uh, uh, have some kind of partnership with. If you're trying to decide which of these two groups you should side with, that's not really going to help. Uh, you definitely can't fight them. You're going to lose. And, and even if you fight them, you don't have God on your side right now. And so you're definitely going to lose. Uh, there's only one way that you're going to get out of this situation. And there's only one way to understand why you're even in this situation. And it's God. That's Isaiah's job is to come and tell them this thing. Now, we typically think of prophecy as telling the future, right? Talking about things that haven't happened yet. It's kind of like predicting the future. Uh, but prophecy typically is telling the truth and really reminding people of the truth of God. Now, oftentimes, as they remind people, they will point ahead and say, here is what will happen, either because you won't believe this or if you won't believe this, or here's how God's going to work in the future. There is some, definitely some like foretelling about what's going to happen in the future. But most prophecy that we read about is really these guys coming and saying, remember these things that you already know, but you've lost sight of. So one of the things about the Old Testament that is pretty incredible, that shows you that this God who created everything is so personal, like that's a big deal, the idea that a God who stands outside of time and creates all of time and space and everything that we experience, that he actually cares about people, about us, that he's relational, right? One of the reasons that we see that throughout the Old Testament is because the Old Testament especially, it sort of plays out like this crazy, messy, drama-filled breakup between two people. I mean, it's basically this relationship that it's good and the people are in love and everything's going great, 
And then uh, it's kind of one of those relationships where it just sort of grows apart. You know, there's no big, like, I'm kicking you out of the house and I'm throwing your stuff on the lawn kind of a thing. It's more of like, oh, I've just kind of got my own stuff and you've got your own stuff and maybe we don't, you know, but that's okay, you know, we're still just in different places. Now, this isn't two-sided how this happens. Uh, It's the Israelites. It's the people in the relationship with God. And so God responds to his people sort of just going, oh yeah, I know this was such a big deal before and I know that you were everything to me before and I know that I said all these things and I made all these big promises and I kind of talked about how there's no way that we're gonna ever be without each other. Um, But you know, now I just, it's not something that I need, not you, not this relationship. God's response is like any person who is a scorned lover basically. He, he comes back at them, and he responds to them. And one of the things that people have the hardest time with about God in the Old Testament is that he is a jealous God. People go, why would God be jealous? That seems like a petty thing to feel. That seems like a small thing to feel, but that's not true. Uh, jealousy is something that we really can't feel because we don't deserve to be jealous for things. Jealousy is saying someone else is getting something I should have. And when God looks at his people, he goes, oh, you're, getting it. you're giving your attention to all kinds of other things. And your attention belongs to me because you're mine. You're my people. We're in this relationship. It's like a spouse who has uh, someone that they're married to, that they've committed to in marriage, who's looking at another person, who's, who's with another person, who's constantly being unfaithful. That person is justified in their jealousy because their affections are being pointed to the wrong place. So God's basically spending a lot of the Old Testament saying, what's your deal? Like, what is your deal? You know, what's the problem here? Uh, What went wrong? What happened? And he could respond in in one of two ways, really. He could just walk away and go, you know what, I'm not going to deal with this. I don't have to deal with this anymore. Uh, I deserve better than you, right? I deserve better than this, Um, because he does. But instead, what he chooses to do again and again and again is he goes back to these people. He goes back to them again. And a lot of times what he does is he uses prophets. He uses these people like Isaiah. He sends these people. I don't know if you've ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody. And, uh, and there's, uh, you think they might hear it from this person. They might hear it from one of their own, right? And so God brings them uh, Isaiah and he sends him to them and he says, your job is to remind these people about what we had, about what it meant for them, about how much life they took from that thing, and about what a mess things are now because of that. Prophet reminds, prophecy reminds us about these very basic things. The first one is prophecy, it causes us to sort of remember who God is. Prophecy is all about, it seems to be like constantly telling people to remember these things that they should already know. And the first thing that you're going to see any prophet do, almost more than anything else, is to, is to remind the people to say, remember who God is, because you seem to have forgotten who he is. And basically, the message of most prophets is God's important. He's important. He's a lot more important than you think he is right now. He's a lot more important than you've let him become in your life. 
And that's why we say in this time of year, it's kind of an interesting time because this is the time when God's important again, right? This is the time when God's relevant again. This is the time when it matters. Uh, and the prophet is, is there saying to these people, the Israelites, as they're going through all this chaos and craziness, remember who God is because he doesn't change. He hasn't changed. He is so important that the prophet knows that when they share these things about God, they're not just giving like a perspective and a viewpoint to think about. They're saying, this is how it is, and this changes everything for you. And if you see it, if you understand it, if you respond to it the right way, then you'll be okay. But if you don't, then you won't. And one of the ways that he, that he points out to the people he helps them remember who God is, is by talking about the things they turn to other than God. He talks about these idols, because this happens with God's people, the Israelites, again and again. They'll, they'll kind of start to worship and focus on these other things, these objects, partly because it's physical and it's in front of them and they can see it all the time, but also just because it's what other people from other cultures uh, worship, what they look to. And there were a few gods in particular that they would bow down to. Here's what Isaiah says about, in Isaiah 46 about, about these idols. He says, this is God speaking through him. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Again, he says here, for I am am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. The simple message is this. There is no one like me. There is nothing like me. Uh, you turn to these idols, these things, but what can they do? Can they tell you anything about your past, your present, or your future? Can they tell you where you're from or what you're meant to be? No, in fact, all these idols are is objects that represent things that you think you'll find life in more than me. At the time, the two idols that they would bow down to the most were an idol uh, that represented a god of fertility and a god of the sun, right? How crazy is that, right? These people are actually deluded enough to think that as long as they can have enough babies and as long as they have a good crop, and which means they have enough to sustain them, that they'll actually be okay without God. Isn't that crazy, right? Nobody would ever think that. That as long as I can have enough kids and as long as I have enough to take care of me, then I will probably be okay without God. I can't even imagine a culture that would feel that way. And I can't imagine how, how, how you know, it would, it would be so difficult for, uh, for people who believe in this God to maybe even begin to be persuaded by that idea saying, yeah, maybe that's really all that we're going to find life in. And so we essentially turn to those things. 
An idol was just a result of people turning away from God, trying and thinking that they're going to find life in these other things. And it's, you, see this, you see this in relationships, honestly. You see two people um, in a committed relationship together, and then eventually, over time, maybe they start to go, you know, I, I find life in other things, right? So I'm going to do this thing, and you do that thing, and I care more about this thing. I'm going to occupy myself with that thing. And we allow other stuff to become more important to us than this relationship and this person. Why? Because we think, at one point, that relationship gives me life. But then at another point, we go, this thing gives me life. Just for a season, just for a time, right? I've even talked with people who, in a desire to provide for the person they love, become so consumed with providing and working and earning that they lose sight of the very person that they feel like they're trying to provide for. And it becomes more about the pursuit of that thing. We pursue other people, other relationships. We give our time away and we say, I think I'll find life in that stuff. It used to feel like this was enough for me, but now I need more and so the relationship suffers. Ultimately, Isaiah says to these people, first and foremost, there is none like God. These other nations, these other groups of people, they may have these things they worship, these things they bow down to. These things are mere shadows, mere, mere manifestations of a, of a thing they care about right now. Here is who God really is. God is so overwhelmingly good that his glory, the weight of him, displaces all around him. And so if you just got that, you'd be okay. But they don't. The other thing that he does for these people is he tells them not just to remember who God is, but to remember who they are. Because this is the other thing they do. They forget who they are. See, this is the point where the people say, no, listen, God, you're misunderstanding. It's not you, right? It's me. Okay. I'm not leaving you because of you. I'm not leaving you because you've done anything wrong. You're great. It's me. Okay. I've changed, right? There, we had some good times. We had some great times. You really helped me. That whole Egypt thing, boy, that was rough. You were there for me. I'm never going to forget it. I really appreciate it. But... I'm ready for more. I'm ready for something different, right? I need something different now. I can't find life in the same thing now. And, and, and you're holding me back from that thing. And a prophet shows up and they say, you need to remember who you are because that hasn't changed. You may think you need freedom. You may think you need space. But God looks at these people and he sees that they're just going through this totally weird identity crisis, right? It's like messing everything up in their life and he's looking at them going, this isn't gonna help, right? I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've never, maybe you've been in a situation where you're in a relationship with a person and it ended and they really 
do not remember it the same way as you, right? They're like, they're like, uh, no, I, they're like, I was, I was, it was, it wasn't my fault, right? And so God, through Isaiah, reminds these people again and again. And he is really specific, and some of his language is, um, well, it's exactly what maybe you would expect from a person who shows up saying, uh, why are you going around telling everybody that this happened? Because that's not what happened. It's actually this. And, uh, and in this case, he loves this person, and he loves them so much that he's actually there saying, you're not actually doing better, you're doing worse. Why can't you see that? It's a mess, right? Listen to this. He, this is one of the things Isaiah says in four, chapter 48. We read, thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? When he says mother, he's talking about sort of their forefathers, the people who walked away from him. Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Okay, now if you actually look at this, and what he's saying here, and the like almost borderline sarcasm that is in this, um, it's pretty brutal. He's saying, uh, oh, 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 where was the certificate of divorce that I gave your mother? You know, because I kicked her out and I sent them away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She, yeah, they left me, right? They left me. I didn't do anything wrong. What? Oh, oh, which, which person did I owe so much to that I sold them my child into slavery? Oh, that's right. I didn't. You just ended up there yourself because of all the bad decisions that you made. Okay, yeah, you can blame that on me too. And then he says, when I came, there was nobody else there. Where's this other guy? Where's this guy you left me for? Where's this guy who was supposed to like make everything better and give you a new life? Where's he? Oh yeah, that's right. When I called, there was nobody there. You're alone. This is where you found yourself. And he says this to them, as, as, as like brutal as it sounds, because what he's saying is, like, you thought that by leaving me, that you would be able to, you know, find a better life somewhere else, right? Once you were free, because that's what you needed. But guess what? It hasn't changed anything because it hasn't changed you. Because the things that you're dealing with and the stuff that you keep getting caught up in is not because of me, it's because of you. Right? I'm sure none of us have ever known someone who leaves relationships thinking, oh, the next one will be better. The next one will fix me. Right? The next one will be what I need. Uh, while everyone else looks in and says, I think you need to maybe take a look at you right, and not these people and these relationships instead of running away from all this stuff when it gets hard. And so... The prophet says to these people, remember who you are. And what God does 
as amazing as it is, is he responds by telling them, I want you back. Now, what God says here is he says, you can only be one of two things in a relationship with me. You're either going to be my servant or you're going to be my enemy. That's just the nature of a relationship with a God. You're either going to uh, see who I really am and respond to that the right way and say a, a life of service to this God is good, or you will ultimately end up as my enemy. So know that about yourself too. Know that there isn't this middle ground that you probably would like to see yourself in. That ultimately, that's who you are. That's what you're dealing with. And what is a servant, right? Well, I'll show you who a servant is. It's this guy Isaiah, for example. How did Isaiah respond when I told him who he was? He said, you're right, I repent. And then his first step was to say, send me to other people to tell them about you. So the way that someone knows they're a servant is essentially... They are going, and they're bringing this message, this like, he wants to get back together with you message, to anybody that they can. And God says, you know, he describes Isaiah, he describes a servant of his as somebody who isn't really afraid of other people. They're not afraid. They, they turn their back on the people that, that, that hit them. They, they turn their face to the people who will hit them in the face and just pull their beard and stuff. Basically, they, they just aren't afraid of what people can do to them because as a servant of the Lord, they recognize that he's much bigger than these people and these things. And so, so if you understood who you were for real, you wouldn't be afraid of the Babylonians. You wouldn't be afraid of the Assyrians. You wouldn't be worried about what's going to happen with the people outside your borders. You would see that the truth is, all that matters in this equation is who I am and really who you are. Being honest with yourself about that. The other thing that the prophecy shows you is the prophet's prophecy will say to God's people is remember also how God works. Remember who he is, remember who you are, and remember how he works. And the way he works is this. He works in all of these things that are happening around you constantly. Now, uh, you think of the Old Testament God, Israelites, as like a real face-melting God. That's how I think about him. I think literally Raiders of the Lost Ark, face-melting off, right? That's what I think of when I think of Israelite God, as I think is appropriate. Um, I, I, you know, try to graphically describe that to my children um, as much as I can. And uh, hopefully that won't mess them up. I mean, you think about the God of the Israelites in the Old Testament. You think about pillars of fire. You think about Red Seas. You think about plagues. You think about burning bushes, mountaintop experiences, water and food in the desert. You think about a God who does these incredible supernatural things that you can't possibly deny, Right? But the truth is the majority of the time that God is leading his people, it's not through those things. It's through all the other things that are going on around them, through their nation, through the people outside their borders, through the very conflicts that they find themselves in. And so Isaiah shows up to the people at this point of conflict and says to them, God works through these things. 
and he's working through them. Now, is it possible, guys, is it possible that what's happening isn't really about the Babylonians and the Assyrians, but that it's really about your relationship with God? Is it possible that he might even be trying to draw you back to him, giving you an opportunity to come back to him? We read about it here in Isaiah 48. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from old because before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. So he's saying, I told you what was going to happen. So remember that. It wasn't those guys. It was me because they can't talk anyway. I told you what was going to happen. And because you're stubborn, because it takes a lot for you to like really believe something, that's why they happened. And he goes on and he says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. And for the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He goes on and he's saying to them, this stuff that's going on is to draw you to me. And he says it's to refine you. It's this image of a fire that refines metal. He says, not as silver, because we read elsewhere in the Bible that it is greater even than gold, what he's turning them into. How does God work? God works in these things that are happening and all that stuff that's happening around you in your life. So you go about, you're living your life, you're thinking, if God wants to get my attention, he knows how to do it. If God wants to get my attention, go ahead and open up a sinkhole. Let me fall into it. I'll start listening then, right? Big fish, swallow me up. That'll work. Otherwise, I'm just going to assume that you're okay with everything I'm doing and how I'm living my life, and, uh, and we'll be okay. I'll get afraid of all these people that I always get afraid of and live my life like maybe you're not a part of the equation. And the prophet Isaiah says, that's not how God works. This is how God works. God uses blessing, and he uses abundance. He uses safety, and he uses security. He uses health, and he uses prosperity. He uses enemies and he uses conflicts. He uses other nations. He uses people who don't believe him and believe in him. He uses the weather, money, health, fertility, age, our family, our friends. He uses these things to speak to us, to work in our lives. This is how he works. Not just telling us information, but shaping us in to people who maybe won't forget so much the next time. But it's very true that anything that God works through can either draw us nearer to him, we will either choose to draw near to him, or we can choose to go away from him. If life gets hard, if life gets difficult, it can either draw you to lean into God and to say, I need him, or it can cause you to go, I knew God wasn't real. God would never do something like this if he was. God can give you abundance and blessing. And you might say, God's grace and his mercy are so good. I see him in all of it. Or you could look at it and say, like, I don't need God. This stuff's good. I like this stuff better. I mean, that might sound crazy to you, but I talk to people all the time who have a harder time trusting God when life is good, when things are good, and not worrying more in those situations than when things are difficult. 
God takes all of these ordinary, regular, unimpressive things happening around us all the time, and he works through those things to draw us to him. There was this TV show that I used to watch growing up. And it was called MacGyver. MacGyver had a lot of personal ethics that he lived and worked by. And one of them was that he believed that you shouldn't, he, he shouldn't use guns, he shouldn't use firearms. Um, which is kind of hypocritical, because every chance he got, he built things into variations of guns, firearms, and explosives. Like, MacGyver is a show that always seems to end with him in a situation where all he's left with is various random objects that seem in no way like things you could do anything with. There's always a paperclip, right? That's why they call it his multi-tool. That's what this package is for. It's for his, the multi-tool, the MacGyver multi-tool, the paperclip. And he builds a bomb. He gets out of the handcuffs. He breaks out of the room. He, he diffuses the bomb, a lot of diffusing. He builds something that shoots something else and knocks somebody out. He is famous and so well-known as the guy who just takes all this random stuff and he, and he just uses it in a way that you're like, how could you have ever done that? I was looking this picture up this morning and I found pictures of him. Um, Richard Dean Anderson? Yeah, all right, good. I'm proud of myself. Uh, somebody took a picture of him a couple of years ago. His car, his car had broken down and he was like standing there just like... And they were like, my childhood is a lie. You know, it's so funny. Part of what Isaiah is saying to these people is he's not just talking about God and about them, but he's saying the circumstances around you are not void of God. That he is working in and through these things and he's doing it. If you ever want to know what is God doing, what is God doing for good or for difficult, if the situation is easy or if it's hard, what is God doing, what is God doing? One thing for sure, he's drawing you closer to him through whatever's going on. I can assure you of that. He's drawing you closer to him through that thing. The last thing, and I think really the greatest thing, is that prophecy says to us to remember that God rescues. Because the truth is, the more you come to terms with who God really is, the more you come to terms with who you really are, and the more you, he is working in your life, it can only bring you more to a place of recognizing, I don't think I'm ever going to be very good in this relationship. I think I'm going to keep blowing it. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to live up to the things that I, I need to be able to live up to. And this is why the good news is that even back when Isaiah was talking to God's people, drawing them back to him, he was also promising them, he was telling them that God not only would rescue them, because that's what he says. He says, do you remember that God rescues you? Do you remember that? If, if nothing else Is this not the story of God and the Israelites? He rescues. So do you believe that he can do it again? Not just from these physical enemies that are right there at your doorstep, but that he actually rescues you from the much bigger thing. You see, as Isaiah is talking and describing the servant, there gets to be points where you're like, "Uh, I don't know if this is really Isaiah anymore. This seems a little not 
like it would apply to him, and there's a reason for that. It's because he's talking about somebody else, somebody who comes after him. We read about it in Isaiah 53. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ultimately, the message of Isaiah is that there is one who is coming, this suffering servant, this Messiah, this person who will come, And they're going to take on the sin of all of us who just can't hold up our end of the relationship. This is what gives you hope knowing that you won't have to actually earn it yourself. That's what leads to a lot of unhealthy relationships is people thinking I have to pretend to be something I'm not. I have to try to do something that's probably impossible for me to do anyway. Maybe even though every time up till now I've done this, I've done it this way, maybe because I love them enough and it's good enough, I can somehow just mean it this time. There will always need to be a rescuer. There will always need to be a rescue. God sends Isaiah, his servant, who gives his life so that the people can have an opportunity to repent. Ultimately, he gives Jesus so that his people can repent. When we talk about Advent and we talk about prophecy, do you see how it goes all the way back? All the way back to God coming to his people, saying to them, one will come, one will be born, and they will make it so that we can be in a relationship together. They will rescue you. I will use them to rescue you. That's why when Jesus is born and he comes, there are some who are so excited and anticipate him, and there are others who are so disappointed because what they wanted for rescue was somebody to kill the Babylonians, in that case, kill the Romans, was somebody to finally show that they could be more powerful than the other force. And that's a really small way of viewing it. I'm going to pray and then um, Matt's going to come up and uh, we're going to take communion this morning as we continue to worship. Um, if, If nothing else, that statement about who God is, that if we really recognize him for who he is and see him in truth, it displaces all other things. And the reason why we do communion, why we take it as we do, is because we have to acknowledge as often as we can without it becoming rote and routine, losing its meaning in our lives. We have to acknowledge that it's only because of what Jesus did on the cross that we could have any kind of a real relationship with a God like this.